morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm Pastor Stephen DeWitt. It's great to be with you today. Uh, but would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. It's on page 1,466 in the Bibles provided for you. Like Sam said, we're continuing our uh, walk through Epiphany. And our sermon series has been called Life in the Light. We're looking at these different lectionary passages that talk about what, what, what it is like to live in the light of God's revelation. We were in 1 Corinthians for a while and we talked about different ways that the Corinthian church struggled to do that. Um, those are the um, epistle texts in the lectionary. Now we're shifting to the gospel texts in the lectionary. And so we're going to go through the book of Luke until the end of the season. And uh, what we'll find that we're focusing on in Luke is, uh, well, first, this week is Peter's epiphany, and then we're going to get into some very important instructions that Jesus has for life. Um, So this is Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, and this is Peter's epiphany. So pay, pay close attention. This is his first, most extreme, most radical encounter with the living God. Listen to God's word. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. So that was Peter's epiphany. That was the moment when the lights came on for him. And what's a little bit concerning about that is that When the lights came on, Peter didn't seem to be particularly happy about what he saw. Um, So Peter was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Being a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee was a pretty decent way to earn a living, but that job came with something of a reputation. Fishermen fished at night because that was the only time that their nets were invisible to the fish. And in that culture, when you were the kind of person that slept during the day and were awake at night 
and away from your family at night, people would make assumptions about the other things you might be doing away from your family at night while everyone else was asleep. So his job kind of came with a little bit of a reputation. It was a good job, but he was seen in a certain light. We know that Peter was married, probably had a kid or two. Um, we know that he was married because in the previous chapter, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law from a serious fever. And there's really only one way you can get a mother-in-law, right? So we infer from this that, G- that Peter was married. So Jesus and Peter had already had something of an interaction before they got together in Luke chapter 5, before this story unfolded. Peter had just finished the day. He was very, very tired. He was packing things up. He was very, very frustrated because of his fruitless night of fishing. And he and his partners were cleaning and folding their nets on shore. And then, um, just in their periphery, Jesus arrives. And whenever Jesus arrives somewhere, a crowd would arrive just behind him. And this crowd around Jesus kept getting bigger and bigger and kept moving closer and closer to him until Jesus had no choice but to either fall in the water or jump in a boat. So he jumped in a boat, and it happened to be Peter's boat. So Jesus said to Peter, hey, come onto the boat if you don't mind, and push me off just a little bit from shore so that I'll have the space I need and maybe even the acoustics I need to let everybody hear what I have to say. Peter was a nice enough guy. So he got into the boat, and he did what Jesus told him to do, even after a miserable night of not catching any fish. Peter probably felt a little bit of a sense of obligation because Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law, assuming that Peter was grateful Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. But he reluctantly decides to do what Jesus asks him to do. So there he sits. He thought he would be heading home for the day, but instead he gets a free sermon. And Jesus is finishing up, and then verse 4, just as he thinks he's on his way home to go to bed, Jesus says, you know, Peter, you should put out to deeper water and let down your your nets uh, to catch some fish. Think about this from Peter's perspective. He's been there all night. This is not his first rodeo. This rabbi knows nothing about fishing. He has already done him a favor. And I don't know about you, but I love it when people try to tell me how to do my job. (laughs) Not that I've ever had that before. (laughs) So Peter has this interesting response in in verse 5. And he says, Master... Uh, We have worked hard all night and we have not caught anything, but because you say so, literally in the Greek, he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. I read a a few different commentators on this this week and they seem split on this. About half of the commentators think that Peter is being very willing and very uh, submissive and very respectful. Anything you say, Lord, anything you say. But then about the other half of the commentators, and this is where I find myself, the other half of the commentators uh, read Peter kind of as rolling his eyes, like, oh my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. (sighs) Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say, Rabbi. 
But most importantly, let's consider what Jesus is actually asking Peter to do in this moment. And here all the commentators agree. Jesus is telling Peter to fish in deeper waters. But really, he's not talking about fishing. He's talking about Peter's life. He wants Peter in deeper waters. So in seminary, um, they teach you not to read the Bible allegorically. And they're right. You should not read the Bible allegorically except for here. (laughs) Because Luke is writing allegorically and Jesus is speaking allegorically Jesus is talking about fishing in deep waters, but really he's talking about more than that. He's talking about Peter being in deeper waters. He's talking about Peter going deeper. Jesus wants Peter to go deeper with his life. He's calling him into something that is more profound, not the kind of superficiality that just skims across the top of the water, not the kind of life that just goes through the motions, not the kind of life that just does things because that's the way they've always been done. Jesus is calling Peter to something deeper. Notice, Jesus uses fishing to communicate communicate this to Peter. He uses the one thing that Peter knows the most about to cause him to question everything. Peter was the expert in fishing. He knew that there were no fish to be caught that morning. He knew that. He knew that because this is what he did every day. He knew that once the sun was up, the fish would see the nets and they would go the other way. He knew that fishing, the water he was fishing in was not too shallow. He knew that going to deeper water would not make any kind of difference. Peter knew all of those things until it became clear that he did not. And that was his epiphany. Jesus used the one thing that Peter knew everything about to show him that he knew nothing about anything. It was a very humbling epiphany. So if you look at verse 8, Peter finds himself in trauma. He says, Go away from me, Lord. Peter didn't talk like that to people. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. People of good character don't talk about their sinfulness just outright like that. Peter's legit freaking out. He's causing a scene. He's in the middle of trauma. And at the same time, he's in the middle of an epiphany. There is a theme in the Christian faith. There is a thread in the Christian life, and I see it more and more as my personal faith matures. And it's this Jesus can be such a destabilizing figure in our lives. Jesus can be such a destabilizing figure in our lives. Our faith isn't there to necessarily lead us out of crisis. Our faith isn't necessarily there to keep us safe from trauma. So often, our faith leads us toward the pain. 
So often, our faith leads us into the crisis. Jesus can be such a destabilizing figure in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus brings us the peace that passes understanding, doesn't he? And there's many of us in this room who have known that. As surely as we are here today, we know that Jesus brings us a peace that passes understanding. But what is the nature of that peace? What is the nature of that peace? And when does that peace come to us? Very often, that peace comes to us in the middle of trauma, doesn't it? That peace that passes understanding, it comes when we're second-guessing everything. It comes to us when our status quo has been so significantly interrupted. The peace that passes understanding is not margaritas on the beach. It's peace when we've been forced to push out to deeper water. So often, Jesus is a destabilizing figure in our lives. Jesus confronts Peter in the one thing that he knows, the one thing that he's really good at, the one part of his life that he has complete control over, the one thing that brings total consistency, and Jesus destabilizes it. Why? Jesus wants Peter to have depth in his life. And a deep life is not lived in the rut of our status quo. A deep life is lived at the center of the kingdom of God. A deep life is lived at the very cutting edge of the kingdom which is coming. Therefore, Peter's epiphany needed to be a destabilizing epiphany. It needed to be a destabilizing trauma. When Jesus told Peter, he said, from now on, I will make you fishers of people. What did he mean by that? Um, I don't think that Jesus was diminishing Peter's work. I don't think he was saying, look, this trade is beneath you. I'm going to call you something. We're going to, we're going to get you into the sacred professions. I don't think that was it at all. Hey, Peter, I'm going to get you out of this secular kind of work and get you into a ministry job. That's not it. There are deeper waters in whatever lake we find ourselves. There are deeper waters in whatever lake we find ourselves. And we don't have to professionalize our faith in order to find deeper waters. Jesus was destabilizing Peter in order to reorient him, to ask him these reorienting questions. Why do you fish? What do you fish for? What is the purpose of your fishing? Peter was called to leave his nets and to be a disciple, and then after that, to be one of the first apostles of Jesus. But not all of us are called to leave our nets. Some of us, most, maybe even all of us this morning, are called to find those deeper waters in the lake where Jesus has already placed us. 
But every single one of us is being called to examine what we are doing and how we are doing it in order that we can consider how the kingdom of God might be at the center of our lives. So we have to ask ourselves these destabilizing questions. Are we doing our work from a kingdom perspective? Are we fishing for fish? Or are we fishing for more than fish? Are we committed to the status quo? Or are we willing to be led by the Spirit? Are we stuck in the shallows? Or are we willing to put out to deeper water? Jesus can be such a destabilizing figure in our lives. And that can be a really, really good thing. C.S. Lewis says in his masterpiece, The Problem of Pain, he says that we experience God more in our losses and our longings and our laments than we ever do in our satisfactions. Isn't that fascinating? We experience God more in our losses and our longings and our laments more than we ever do drinking margaritas on the beach. Jesus is always working to keep us from getting too comfortable. He's always nudging us off of our equilibrium. He's always calling us into deeper, war, uh, deeper waters. He's always calling us into a trauma, into an epiphany. I was thinking this week, man, I wish someone had told me that 20 years ago. But then I thought, you know what? I bet dozens of people did but I just didn't hear it. Or I couldn't hear it. Not yet. There's some things you can only hear when you can hear them. We experience God more in our losses and our longings and our laments more than we ever do than in, in our satisfactions. No wonder we have a destabilizing God. No wonder Jesus is pushing us off of our equilibriums. He's working us out. He's not content with our status quo. He's working us out and he's molding us into the kind of people who find their meaning in deeper waters, who find their meaning at the very center of the coming of the kingdom of God. So if you're someone today who is currently enduring some kind of destabilizing force, I wonder if Jesus might be with you. And I wonder if he might be ushering you into deeper waters. And I wonder that someday when you have ears to hear it and eyes to look back to see it, You'll say, I see. Pray with me.
Lord Jesus, we begrudgingly accept your nudges. While we would much rather design for ourselves a kind of existence that meets little friction on the path of least resistance, we also recognize, Jesus, that you want more for us. So today, in as much as we can, as much as we have ears to hear, we accept your call into deeper waters. And we look to find you in our losses and our longings and our laments, knowing that those are the places where we might connect most significantly to you. And so now, Lord, we approach your table, speaking of losses and longings and laments. And we take a seat at the place where we remember your great sacrifice, where we remember how death leads to resurrection and how you are making all things, even us, brand new. In your holy name we pray. Amen.